0: save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports.
1: Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball is brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Here we go again alongside well-respected baseball insider John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. Back from, uh, boy, where was I? Santorini. But nobody <laughs> cares. Uh, the big, I care. I know you do, but I mean, I don't think our <laughs> listeners really do. What no, they, they don't. What they care about is that every week we're bringing you insight into the top storylines across big league baseball. Got a rundown of the happenings in every division. Usually we hop division to division to division. We're going to change that up a little bit today. But uh, I do want to remind you that Big Time Baseball is a part of Radio.com. That allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere. Over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts, and growing every week. You can explore by location or genre to find music, news, and sports from your own location or across the country. And make sure you follow... On Twitter, Radio.com Sports at RDC Sports. So, John, we're in dive right in mode. Normally we hop around, like I say, division by division. But there are some big picture things happening that I'd love to get your thoughts on. And first of all, the emotion of last Friday in Anaheim. The Angels had their first home game after the, the death of Tyler Skaggs. His grieving mother, Debbie, throws a strike with the ceremonial first pitch then his teammates go out and pitch a combined no-hitter. First one of those on the West Coast since the day Tyler Skaggs was born. And, and I'm sure by now you've heard some of the other cosmic numerology here. Uh, Mike Trout was the first to note that the Angels scored seven first-inning runs, finished with 13, and the guy's birthday is 713, which it would be just a couple hours after the game ended. So uh, I know it's kind of from the files if you can't make this stuff up, but that was just unbelievable theater.
2: Incredible. Uh, just an amazing coincidence. Uh, as Trout pointed out, the seven thirteen uh, un- unreal. And later, it was pointed out that uh, this was the first combined no-hitter since the day he was born, uh, coincidentally. Uh, just incredible. Uh, I think the... Uh, First pitch, uh, I, I knew a little bit about Debbie Skaggs, and she's a legendary softball coach in Santa Monica and taught Tyler a lot about pitching. Not surprised she threw a strike. That was fantastic. And then at the end when they laid his jerseys uh, over the pitcher's mound, a very, very touching scene, uh, just incredible. Uh, it's uh, such a sad situation. Uh, he obviously was uh, you know a few days short of his 28th birthday, uh, way too young, very, very sad. But uh, I think the team handled it as well as any team could
1: you know d gordon was on the other side and he's the guy that when jose fernandez passed i mean you know and d gordon never hits home runs but the very first opportunity he has to swing the bat he parks one off bartolo Colon. and he said back then if you don't believe in in god you might want to start and he basically said the same thing after he was there to see what happened in, in anaheim but
2: yeah i was i was yeah, I was there for the D. Gordon incredible, and not only just a home run. It was into the upper oh, deck, the which I didn't think he had deck. it in him. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it can be explained through adrenaline and emotion, and it was just that moment where he did it. Uh, one, that's one way of looking at it. But obviously, uh, D. Gordon's perspective very interesting and certainly very, very understandable. Uh, the coincidences uh, uh, involved with this one are really hard to explain. Uh, so Dee Gordon uh, certainly had his uh, perspective on things and uh, certainly understandable the way he felt about it.
1: We mentioned the combined no-hitter, John. We almost saw a combined perfect game just a couple days later. And if the shift had not been in play, uh, who knows? Because all it was was a ground ball to second base that, that broke it up, it was a, the, the Tampa Bay-Baltimore game.
2: Yeah, that is true, and that's, again, just uh, that's a freak in this case. Uh, the shift has lowered batting averages. Obviously, the batting averages were up well over 250 at one point, and now they're well below even uh, 240. Uh, so, you know, I do think the shift does help the pitchers, does help the defense. It does make sense. In this case, it took it away from the Rays and uh, – You know, uh, uh, I give give Tampa credit. Their pitching is fantastic. They've done a great job. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, Baltimore, uh, they're tanking. So uh, it shouldn't be a surprise that uh, people are picking on them and almost throwing perfect games against them.
1: If it sounds like two middle-aged guys shaking their fists at clouds here as we talk about the shift, I'm kind (laughs) of interested, John, because my Twitter feedback seems to consist of two groups. I don't know if you see the same thing. But number one is people who hate the current analytics and the three-outcome style of baseball, and they're not going to evolve no matter what. And number two is those who just refuse to acknowledge there's anything wrong at all with the game, and we should all just shut up and stop whining already. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I'm applying this to things like the shift and like pitching, where I'm looking at two major league pitchers averaging six and two-thirds innings a start. Nobody's averaging seven. The Verlander and Scherzer at least are at six and two-thirds. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Uh, hitting. The three true outcomes could bore the balls off the billiard table. Pace a game is still a huge issue. The average time a game of those two games in London between the Yankees and Red Sox was 435. And I can't believe we're complaining about this, but we're on pace for 6,666 home runs. That's 1,100 more than last year, about 1,800 more than 2015. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is are you team grumble? Or are you team <laughs> roll with it? I mean, because I'm, I'm yeah. really, I go back and forth.
2: Well, I'm a natural grumbler and a natural complainer. I, I do see if if the shift is allowed, and I could see the point of saying it's disallowed. But once it's allowed, I think they're do teams are doing the right thing by shifting it certainly has kept the batting averages down it's turned a lot of power hitting slow guys who are left-handed from 280 hitters to 220 hitters so it certainly is effective i can't say it's not effective i would like to see i mean i know people love the long ball but i think it's gotten out of hand at this point where we're seeing little guys go the opposite way uh the minnesota twin catchers uh, just for example are not home run hitters now all of a sudden they are home run hitters uh, you know i think it's a little bit much it's something they need to look into so i guess i'm grumbling about that i'm not grumbling about the shift so uh i'm a half a grumbler i guess it's uh, middle-aged <laughs> well the, the other grumble fest that,
1: that I, I think is kind of popping up here and it always is with umpires somebody's always grumbling about umpires especially if angel hernandez is working the series but uh the, the robot umps are often running in the Atlantic League. It's a major league sanctioned experiment that doesn't completely disempower the home plate umpire, but it's definitely got some big brother overtones in play. A lot of interesting things they're trying out in the Atlantic League, and of all the things they're looking at, from the umpires to you can now steal first base if you want to. Do you have thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I, well, I you know I like the fact that MLB is willing to consider and to experiment to think about anything. I I do like that idea. Uh, you know I think it's a long shot. We're going to see the steel first base, and I think it's we're a long way from the robo ump. Craig Minervini, one of the Marlins announcers, had something interesting on Twitter that gave me something to think about on the robo umps I have not really been in favor of the robo umps, but uh, you know we have challenges on other plays. Maybe give a manager a challenge or two uh, on the strikes uh, ball strike calls and see how that goes i i think he was looking at uh Brian Anderson, a strike three that was really a key moment in a game with the Marlins and the Mets. And the pitch was a, probably a ball. I think it would have been overturned. It was very close, uh, but I think the, the batter was right, and it was a very key moment. So uh, I, I'm not still in favor of the Robo-Ump's, but I, I, I could go for the uh, challenge the ball strike calls as we have the challenges on the uh, safe out and, and other uh, different plays in baseball.
1: As long as we're kind of going down Grumble Avenue here uh, <laughs> at the All-Star Game, it's our first chance to talk since the All-Star Game, There's so much talk about the baseballs themselves, not unlike your podcast hosts, very tightly wound is the assertion by, <laughs> by Justin Verlander. And he said if any other $40 billion company bought out a $400 million company and the product changed dramatically, he said it's not a guess as to what happened. So, He put that out there. Rob Manfred calls him into the principal's office and all of a sudden Verlander's saying nothing about anything. But the the leather is slicker. The seams are tighter. The the pill is perfectly centered now. The drying process has changed. There are so many anecdotal uh, and rumored pieces of evidence here to suggest that this ball is just so freaking different. Why can't we figure out this thing once and for all?
2: <laughs> I'm not sure why we can figure it out. I'm, I'm going to go down the middle on this. I, I I do believe him. He would know whether the ball has changed. I mean, he, he is uh, a pitcher, a great pitcher, a Hall of Fame pitcher. He would know about that. I don't think there's any doubt that the ball has changed uh, as far as whether – MLB has ordered that up, and uh, there's some uh, behind-the-scenes uh, uh, conspiracy to uh, make the ball different and to have more home runs. I, I don't really believe that. I, I don't think that MLB is really interested in more home runs. I, I do think MLB would like to see more triples, more stolen bases, more balls in play. Uh, so, I you know, I don't believe that they ordered it up. I don't know whether someone's just working behind the scenes to uh, see what they can do and have fun with it. I, you know, I can't tell you, but... I. You know i'm not buying into that conspiracy theory
1: and before we leave the all-star game i just thought it was fascinating that you know all the talk we did in the offseason machado harper you know, the biggest name free agents they were not included in fact none of the nine most expensive offseason free agents ended up in the all-star game there were 12 players making major league minimum that did i just think that's fascinating anthony rendon had never been to an all-star game which is remarkable he got there we didn't see Fernando Tatis Jr., which I think is insane. This guy could be a 2020 guy at the age of 20. And I don't want to go into the, you know, there's no sense with the All Star game having been a week ago to grumble about, you know, All Star selection processes. That's kind of an old one. But uh, what was your overall take on, on how the All Star game came off?
2: Well, since I'm an old guy, I'll touch on the old uh, issue, and I'll say the fans did a fantastic job voting. Uh, They really had some interesting selections and very good selections. Uh, I was shocked that they did so well uh, with the voting. I I do think that uh, perhaps MLB is hampered by uh, too many rules. Um, It didn't seem like uh, the... Second uh, picks, uh, the picks filled out by uh, the league were perfect. Uh, It got better as they started to add players due to injury. I'm with you, Fernando Tatis, absolutely an all-star. He's one of the best players in the game. I don't care that he missed 30-some games. He was incredible in the first half, and he should have been there. Uh, You know, I saw some people were up in arms about uh, Machado and Harper not being there because they are obviously stars, and you would think the fans would want to see him. Well, you know what? The fans had the vote. They didn't vote him in. Uh, they weren't the most deserving guys. I personally thought Machado probably deserved to be there, probably, but I'm not up in arms about that. And Harper, to me, has done okay with the Phillies. Uh, he's had some good moments. He's hit well with the runners in scoring position, but he's not an all-star. He didn't deserve to be there, and uh, I think that was fair. So you had the polar bear, Pete Alonzo of the Mets, uh,
1: slam out that that all-star derby win. It was cool to see him involved, and and there are now, if you look at it, I mean, here's this guy reaching the break with 30 home runs that actually count. Six rookies out there with at least 15, and and that doesn't even include Tatis or Vlad Guerrero Jr. or Jordan Alvarez, and they're coming, obviously. This class of 19, it's those guys and Christian Walker and Austin Riley and Brandon Lau, Michael Chavis, Eloy Jimenez. It's like the 100-year flood of rookies, it, it seems like, all of a sudden.
2: Fantastic, and, and Alonzo put on quite a show in that derby, and uh, he's just, uh, everything that's good about baseball, we had him on MLB Network, just a fantastic young man who really appreciates what he's going through, and, uh, you know, there were doubters along the way. He was a second-round pick, I believe, so, uh, you know, he wasn't the top, top pick, uh, but certainly uh, showed some potential in, in at Florida, University of Florida. Uh, a lot of people didn't believe in him along the way. There were doubters, I think, even in the, their own organization, uh, at least some, uh, regarding his defense and whether it was going to play out as a a National League player, and some wondered whether he's an American League player, and and I give him credit for what he has done, and uh, he's going to set that Mets single-season record. He's already set the Mets single-season rookie record, beating Strawberry, but 41 is the record with uh, uh, Beltran and Hundley, and uh, I think he's going to hit 50, and just uh, hats off to him for his performance at the All-Star Home Run Derby, and he actually made a nice play in the game, and uh, for his overall performance this year in his rookie year but you're right there are a lot of guys having good years he's John
1: Heyman I'm Josh Lewin big time baseball from radio.com sports and we're going to get at the end of the podcast into John's insider segment we'll break down what to expect in terms of the uh, the trade deadline there is only one deadline now and it's coming hot so uh, I just want to throw it out I guess kind of initially here John that as of this recording anyway couple of minor deals have been struck, and and probably not a big surprise that Dave Dombrowski and Billy Bean were the guys that made the first two deals. Andrew Kashner comes into Boston from the Orioles, which is kind of vintage Dombrowski, right? I mean, he he gets in there early. He addresses a need. Uh, The A's go get Homer Bailey from the Royals, and that's probably a a typical Billy Bean uh, strike when it comes to all that, but Uh, with Oakland in the race and with Boston in the race, can you see those two moves? And I know they're not blockbusters, but can you see where those guys can help those two teams?
2: Yeah, not blockbusters, blockbusters, but I certainly can see where they could help. I mean, Homer Bailey, uh, he was a giveaway, uh, obviously in the off season. Uh, he he had uh, he's had struggled in recent years since he signed that hundred million dollar contract, really. And uh, give him credit for uh, putting up a nice first half, and particularly at the end, he certainly is hot. Uh, you know, Oakland, they they try to capitalize and they do a fantastic job on a limited budget. So I I give them credit and uh, same for Dave Dombrowski. He's always willing to go for it. I I think uh, getting that starter uh, in Kashner should help, um, you know, Amazingly, he won 12, uh, the, excuse me, the Orioles won 12 of his starts. Out of their 28 wins, 12 came in uh, Kashner games. So uh, putting him at the back end of that rotation should be a little bit of a plus for Boston. Every game could count. That AL wild card should be interesting. A lot of challengers in there. If Cleveland doesn't win the division, they're in it. If the Rays don't win the division, they're in it. As well as Boston, Oakland, Texas. So AL wild card, a lot of good teams, a lot of surprise teams are vying for it and uh, it should be an interesting kind of a, a free-for-all in terms of trades and one thing I'll say about the Orioles uh, in their trade I know they didn't seem like they got that much to 17 year olds for Kashner um, that's just the way it goes right now if you're not trading a top-of-the-line pitcher or a big star uh, teams aren't going to give up their best and biggest prospects but uh, I'm sure the Orioles part of their equation is that they're close for that worst record and this will I mean they won't admit to it but this this uh, will probably ensure that they will have the worst record. If you have a starter who won uh, who won so many games, and the team won twelve out of his. Uh, of their 28 starts, uh, 28 wins come from when he started. Uh, now he's uh, removed from the equation. Uh, they clearly will have the worst record and the, and and the pick. So uh, I'm not sure if there are other teams doing tanking, but uh, the Orioles are doing it best right now.
1: Kashner very uh, 1972 Steve Carlton, and now for the first time in 10 years, he's <laughs> I don't got know it, if I go that far, you know, Josh. <laughs> oh, it, it's close. But and, and, <laughs> you're right. And, anyway, he's
2: not he's not the pitcher that Carlton. No, will be no, right. No, in terms no. of the percentage of victories, you're right that it does well, line up. 12. 12 wins out of the 28.
1: And that poor guy, 10 going on 11 years in the big leagues now, has never been on a winning team. He gets airdropped into Boston, so that should be fun. Uh, To your point, John, 20 teams at the All-Star break, 20 of them, were within five games of a playoff spot, if not actually uh, in possession of a playoff spot. So here's where I start to get a little bit funky about the the talk about who's really a contender and who's not. And maybe this is because I still have so much of a a Mets – Connection or interest, but there's one school of thought, just using the Mets for an example, where because they're five and a half or six games out in the wild card, how can you blow up that team? They're only five and a half out. But then you do the math and you say, well, wait a minute, there's nine teams that they have to hurdle to get in there. I mean, there's only one team in the entire National League that's not in it. If you look at those parameters, that's Miami. So if you're going to suggest that because the Mets are only five and a half out of a wild card. Well, you know, now you you have to say that, okay, everybody holds on to everybody. Everybody's trying to make a trade. There's no way a team that's got a hurdle nine teams can really do that, right?
2: Well, you know, it's theoretically possible that somebody could hurdle nine teams I don't think the Mets are going to be the team to do that based on what we've seen in this uh, first half and here early in the second half uh, they have been terrible uh, there's no other way to look at it uh, you know Brody Van Wagen and said come get us they have oh my God, uh, God. come they got them they got them and more and uh, they are not a playoff team their defense is poor uh, their bullpen is poor Teams can turn it around and have good second halves, but uh, this is not going to be the team to do it. There are just too many flaws there, and uh, you know they may hang on to Wheeler and Vargas and Frazier a little while longer and see how it plays out. It really doesn't hurt that much. They still will be able to get a lot for Wheeler. They're not going to get that much for Vargas, and I don't think they're going to get much for Frazier either, uh, no matter whether they trade him. Uh, this week or next week or the week after or right at the deadline, it's not going to matter. They can go ahead and satisfy themselves that they're not a contender, but I can tell you right today, they are not a contender. I was challenged on FAN, on my, the show that I'm on there, Joe and Evan, they they called them done weeks and weeks ago, and I was hesitant to do it, and I, then I followed up maybe a week later. I mean, they're just not good enough, and that's the bottom line. So teams that are definitely good enough, let's end it here, John, if you don't mind. There are some locks.
1: I mean, the Dodgers, obviously, and as if they needed more help. They just got Seager and Pollock and David Fries off the injured list. So they have too many good players. Uh, the Astros obviously in wonderful shape. The Yankees in wonderful shape, the twins, the Braves. Uh, Let me get you on the Braves for just a moment here because uh, we we expected this traffic jam in the NL East and never materialized. Soroka's on pace for just enough innings to get him the ERA title. And since the mound was lowered back in 69, the only pitchers 21 or younger. That have a lower era than this guy or doc good and vita blue and jose fernandez so very special season for him they pick up dallas keichel are the braves a lock just like those other teams or do they still have some work to do
2: Yeah, at this point, I'm going to call them a lock, and I'm going to say that was one of my worst picks. I I had the Phillies winning that division, the Mets getting a wild card. Uh, I mean, the Phillies are still hanging in as a potential wild card right now thanks to the way the NL is developing uh, where mediocrity can be rewarded. But uh, the Braves, I I should have known. They were very, very good in the second half last year, and they're very young, and there's no reason uh, they should get worse. They added Donaldson. Uh, They they obviously have added Keuchel now. I didn't know that when I made the prediction, but, uh, you know, these guys uh, are very talented and you mentioned Soroka and then Vita Blue and Dwight Gooden and Jose Fernandez. I mean you you look at him pitch and you don't see the talent that those three have. Those are three all-time talents. I mean Dwight Gooden if he had stayed on the uh, straight and narrow and again great guy but unfortunately an addict and had another run in with the law recently I feel very bad for him Uh, he obviously has some issues but in terms of talent he uh, incredible would have been on the, the hall of fame. Jose Fernandez, uh, just a tragic situation, uh, Hall of Fame talent. Uh, Soroka is really a poised kid that you do not see. A guy who was 21 years old or however exactly how old he is uh you never you don't see that kind of thing where he's such a smart pitcher at 21 and uh, i give him credit and uh, it's really terrific deserving all-star obviously acuna fantastic alby's fantastic we know what freddie freeman is uh that team is going to win that division and i'm not uh, taking any credit because i didn't pick them but i give them credit
1: so the nl east not as packed tight as we thought but the nl central is the division that's got that going nick crawl the general manager of the cincinnati reds is on deck we'll talk to him about his team in just a moment let's bring on nick crawl the cincinnati reds vice president and gm and wow i mean i think we all thought nick that in a perfect world this would be a great race in the nl central Th- this is i mean bumper to bumper traffic here this is something what you guys are dealing with
3: yeah it's it's been great i mean it's, it's been uh it's, it's obviously been been a lot of fun a lot of a lot of uh, nervous days, um, but uh, you know we're 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 still hanging in there and still fighting, and uh, you know along with every other team in this division. So um, it'll be uh, interesting as we approach the deadline.
2: Hi, Nick John Heyman here. I wanted to echo Josh and give you credit for not tanking and going for it in a very tough division with the Cubs and the Brewers, who played so well last year. Um, you know your team has looked very good on the field. Your run differential is excellent, but your standing and your record probably aren't quite what you'd hope I'm just wondering how you assess things right now
3: you know it's it's funny I, uh, one of the guys in our office uh, threw this stat out at me uh, this morning we are in terms of run differential in uh, in our last 24 series we're 16 five and three so we've won the run differential but we've just been inconsistent mm-hmm. um, it's just you know we've we've lost we've lost a ton of one and two uh, two run games um, and we just have to figure out how to turn the uh, positive scoring into a uh, into W's and, and I think that's uh you know we, we've really worked towards that uh, over the last uh, couple of months but we've had you know we've won six in a row we lost four in a row we won uh, uh five of uh five of uh, uh seven and then we lost four of five so it's just we, we got to figure out how to, how to get consistent and uh you know overall uh, a lot of guys are playing well it's just it's it's got to figure out how to turn those uh turn those runs into into wins.
1: So here we are a little past mid-July Nick and you guys were so aggressive this off season, which was really kind of cool to see you guys kind of jump in with both feet and I know everybody right now is just kind of waiting to see okay does that same aggressive nature show up again at this trade deadline and I know you got to get the right deal but but what are your thoughts do you think you guys will be aggressive these next couple of weeks or do you, do you sit it out?
3: Yeah, no, look, I, I think, you know, we, we look at this uh, the team and figure out how we want to improve it from the long run. Um, you know, not, not just, not just for the next two months, but you know, how, how can we continue to improve, improve this organization uh, and get back to uh, get back to having, you know, win divisions, win championships. And that, that's what we want to do. So, you know, we're, we're looking at anything possible to, to figure out how we can help us move forward and, and help this organization move forward. Um, and, you know, from a, from a major league standpoint, yeah, you know, if you can add somebody to bolster your team to 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 help you make a run, that that would be awesome. I think, uh, you know, we we we'd love to do something like that, and we'd, uh, you know, we got to just keep. Figuring out what the deals are and and uh, and, and where we stand and and, uh, and keep moving.
2: Nick, you you guys have made some great trades over the last couple of years. Obviously, Castillo has worked out fabulously. Gray, an all-star. Roark, I, I think you have made as good of trades as anyone. Uh, where do you where do you stand right now with things? Are you are you a buyer? Is that fair to say that you're buying? And uh, if so, what are you looking for?
3: I mean, it, it's it's hard. Yeah, look, I think I think you'd love to be able to buy this year. You know, we got a, we got a couple more weeks. Of, uh, of games before we get to the uh, the actual deadline. But, uh, you know, we want to see if we can get some consistency. But, yeah, look, I- I'd love to be able to tell you, hey, look, we're going to buy and-, 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 and this is what we want. I think we're looking to do anything we can to make this team better and better for the long run. Um, you know, I- it's whether you say pitching or offense or position or whatever it is, I, I think if you can make yourself better – uh, for now, the future, and, and, and help this organization take steps forward. That's what you're looking to do. Um, we, you know, it's 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 just we, our pitching has been really good, uh, knock on wood, for the uh, for so far this season, and, and it's been uh, you know, we our pitching coaches have done a great job, um, our catchers have done a great job working with the staff, everybody's done a great job to, to get us to where we need to from a pitching standpoint. That was our focus, you know, our primary focus in the off season. We we brought in some guys. Um, in, uh, in 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 Alex Wood and uh, Sonny Gray and Tanner Roark to uh, you know just just to figure out how we can bolster this team and they've, they you know uh, Alex hasn't played yet but he's on his way back he's he's rehabbing right now which is great and uh, it's it's you know we feel we've made a lot of positive strides in that area. Um, with that said, I don't think you can ever have too much pitching. Uh, I think that's you know you you want to always have depth. You always want to have guys at the top of the rotation. So you want to keep keep looking there. But you know then. Our offense has not uh, struggled out of the gates, but they've played much better as of late. So, you know, I think we just got to keep looking at what uh, we can do to make positive upgrades to this to this team.
1: It's weird, Nick. Nick Kroll joining us. He's uh, in charge of the Reds and a team that, yes, uh, it's been cool to watch the pitching take shape because for years uh, that was something really holding the Reds back. Uh, of all things, it almost seems like because the pitching has been so great this year, it's really wacky to think that the the offense has been almost an underreported story. I mean, Dietrich, not the greatest batting average, but he's such a a charismatic player and does so many things for you guys. You had a game this weekend, this past weekend in Colorado, where your outfield went 14 for 17 at the plate. I mean, so uh, I know for years it's just been, oh, it's Joey Votto and a bunch of guys we've never heard of, but you guys seem to have a pretty complete one through eight in that batting order.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, and that's the thing. We, we've, it's, it's hard to say, yes, we're going to, we, we, this is exactly what we need, or that's exactly what we need. You know, you've got guys who who started out slow and, and they've played, they've played much better as of late. Um, you know, Dietrich's a guy that, that he's he, the batting average isn't there, but man, he's been really good all season in what he's done. He's got, you know, close to a 900 OPS. He's still getting on base. He's still, you know, hitting for for some power. So, you know, you, you look at that and you say, okay, well, he's still, he's still producing and helping, helping you, uh, helping your lineup score some runs. I mean, the other guy that, uh, that's played you know pretty well over the last like month is, uh, is Yasiel Puig. He's, man, he's, he's starting to, he's starting to hit really well. Um, you know, he's starting to, uh, starting to really take off and, and, and have, he had a great, great last month. Um, he hit, uh, you know, hit close to 400. Got on base. Hit for power. I mean, he's been he's been great. So after a slow start, so it's it, it's hard to say this is this or this is going to be the 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 main thing that you need to add.
2: You mentioned Yasiel Puig. Obviously, he had a reputation that preceded him with the kissing of the bat, the breaking of the bat, the flipping of the bat. Uh, Sometimes he had been late. I'm just wondering how Yasiel Puig has fit in in the clubhouse. Obviously, he has performed superbly over the past several weeks, really pulling his season together after a slow start. But I think a lot of people are interested in Yasiel Puig and off the field and his decorum and all that. Uh, How has he done? And also, uh, he's a free agent after the year. have you guys considered uh, signing him to a longer deal, uh, or have you even talked about it to this point?
3: We have not had any talks with him. Um, you know, on a personal level, he's been great. Uh, he he really has been great. Um, it's you know, you, you hear this or hear that. We haven't seen any of it. He's a he's definitely a charismatic guy um, that has a lot of fun out there. But but he's he's been a great teammate. Um, he's been a high energy guy, which has been fun to see. Um, and I think that he, he's been a lot of fun to have uh, for, for this team and for this organization and this town.
1: Nick Kroll, always a pleasure. Continued success to you guys. It's a really fun division race, and you guys are a really fun team. Go get him and we'll, we'll talk again. Thank you, my friend.
3: All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
1: Now we get to talk some ALEs with our good friend Sweeney Murdy, who is a podcast champion, by the way. I'm going to uh, promote that a little bit later here. I want to dive right in, though, with Sweeney, Yankees beat reporter for WFAN. And before we get into what's going to be a big weekend in Cooperstown, Sweeney, because there's Murcena and there's Moe, uh, these Yankees are not exactly eager to lessen their stranglehold uh, on, on top of this division. What are you seeing coming out of the break here? What do they need to do? Do they really need to add a starting pitcher? And if they don't, are they still okay?
4: You know, Josh, what I think I've seen from them is that this is a really good team. And we look at the starting pitching, and the Yankees have pointed it out, as an area they want to improve on. Uh, and I think the fans have kind of latched on to that as an area that might keep them from winning a World Series. But if you look at the rest of the team, look at the way they've performed. He went through a lot of injuries. They have a lot of good players in this lineup. The bullpen is outstanding. Now, they're a really good team, and even they played the good teams in the first half very well. They've blown through the AL East so far. Uh, they start the week with a mark of 31-10 and 10 against the division, and uh, they have a chance to put some real distance between themselves and the Rays uh, with a good performance this week in the series. So, uh, not a lot has, go- despite the injuries, not a lot has gone wrong for the New York Yankees. They could not possibly be in a p- better position, even if all those guys have stayed healthy in the first half.
2: Hey, Sweeney. Uh, John Heyman here. Um, you know, Starting pitching is something I think they're at least looking at, and I guess there's a difference of opinion of how desperate they should be for that starting pitching. Everything's been good for them to this point, but uh, there have been a lot of names that are out there. Uh, obviously, uh, Syndergaard and Wheeler with the Mets, and Bauer, Boyd, uh, Stroman, Madbum. Uh, how do you think the Yankees look at this? Do they have an order? Do they have to get a number one or two starter to even consider it, and do do they, have a ch- Do they feel they have a chance for any of the Mets guys? Obviously, Wheeler's going to get traded. Uh, we're not sure about Syndergaard here. Do they just, I mean, they've tried in the past to talk to the Mets, and uh, the Mets don't seem to want to deal with them.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is more up your alley. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to tell you anything that you don't already know, but I feel like, you know, just in the types of arms that they covet um, and look for, I feel guys like Stroman, and Wheeler and Bauer are probably uh, in a in a pretty good tier, um, and they come with varying levels of control too. So the price tag is different. That's ultimately what's going to decide this. Because I don't think the Yankees are ever afraid to deal prospects, but you know they don't like getting fleeced. They don't like thinking about overpaying. You know I think you look at um, a guy like Dave Dombrowski who has never been afraid to deal prospects, no matter where he's been. And I think the Yankees are not afraid to deal them, but there are certain guys, obviously, they like to keep a hold on and don't like thinking about overpaying. So I think those are the types of guys that, you know, if, if they're going after Bumgarner, the, the consensus I get from the people I've talked to is that this is a guy you're getting strictly for October pedigree because right now he's pitching more like a number three. And all you hear from people who view the Yankees and say that he's number one, well, Bumgarner doesn't fit that profile right now. Now, he's pitched very well recently, his last few starts, have been pretty dominant, Uh, but overall I think you're looking at him as a guy who had the October resume, and you're counting on that more. I still think internally there are a lot of people who feel James Paxton is capable of becoming a number one pitcher. That's why they acquired him uh, in the winter, and I know people around the league who feel he's got that potential inside him too.
1: Sweeney Murty is visiting with us, and I've got the requisite Aaron Judge question for you because it looks like the, the big guy is absolutely fine. Uh, obviously came out of the All-Star break and was just killing it. Uh, with, with the varsity back now and, and with Encarnacion uh, part of this now, could this be a, a more well-oiled machine? or Is there any tweakage that needs to happen to, to, to get this batting order better, or are they fine as is?
4: I think they're pretty good as it is. You remember the, they started the season without Aaron Hicks and Didi Gregorius, and they both came back, um, you know, midway through, and are just kind of getting their legs under them now. So, you know, strong second halves, I think you could see for both of those guys who had very good offensive seasons a year ago for the Yankees. Aaron Judge missed two months, and so his season numbers aren't going to be great. But boy, if you watch him hit the ball recently, uh, you see that he's probably really close to a big power surge. Uh, and one of those streaks where you say, you know, there isn't a ballpark that can hold him. Uh, the Yankee lineup is a good lineup, a really good lineup. And I think what you have to look at is that even with all the injuries, they had some constants. Gary Sanchez missed two weeks of a calf injury. That was it. But he had an all-star first half. Gleyber Torres had an all-star first half. Luke Boyd had an all-star first half. Didn't make the team. He got hurt um, in that London trip and was out for the final 10 days or so Uh for the break, I have a feeling he might have found his way onto the All Star team and into the Home Run Derby if he had stayed healthy there. Uh, so the Yankees have had uh, some really good offensive performers there, and DJ LeMahieu. Don't want to cut him short. Offensive, uh, uh, an All Star first half and a tremendous uh, uh, first half. So even with all the injuries, they had performers who could carry that offense, and now they have kind of what you know is a scary offense because it's you know, when you look at guys at the bottom of the order who are doing things like Gio or Shella. Um, you know, or on Sunday, uh, Mike Talkman got a big uh, hit. You know, these are the guys who are able to reform because you're afraid to turn a lineup over. Pitchers are trying to make pitches and get these guys out uh, at the bottom of the order because you don't want to start it back at the top again with LeMahieu and Judge and that whole machine.
2: Hey, Sweeney, I'm glad you mentioned D.J. LeMahieu. I don't mind the narrative that he could be MVP or certainly be considered MVP. Uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, risk some uh, backlash here because I know the analytics people get up in arms and say, of course, Trout's the MVP. He's the best player. He has the highest war, all that. Where, where do you stand on that front? You
4: know, its it, I don't have a vote. And guys like you have had a vote. It's just the varying definition of it, of, you know what you consider the V to to really mean, um, and so that's why this debate is always going to go on. There's never going to be a perfect answer. Mike Trout's the best player in the game; he has been. Um, DJ Lemayhu is is absolutely an MVP candidate. Um, the last couple of weeks for Gary Sanchez has slowed down a bit, has hurt my argument. But you and I, in in this same spot two weeks ago, had the uh, had the debate where I feel like Sanchez has been undervalued because of. Um, what you saw from him last year, the bounce back has been tremendous. And the fact that he's played well on both sides defensively and is a, a phenomenal offensive player once again, really wiped out what was a bad season for him last year, I think he gets underplayed in the MVP debate. So the Yankees have a couple of guys that might cancel themselves out. Uh, but I think as the vote, you know, as you see the season go along, if LeMahieu maintains, certainly voters will take uh, him into account, and, uh, and we'll see if, uh, if anybody can unseat Kraut.
1: Sweeney Murdy visiting with us of WFAN, a lot of Yankees perspective, and there will be a lot of Yankees talk, obviously, in Cooperstown this coming weekend. It's a very Yankee-centric kind of class, and, and if anybody has the time, I hope they do, to check out the, uh, the 30 with Murdy podcasts They're always worth your time, but I know you've had it on. You've got Rivera on, uh, on this current one that you've got out. When you talk to those guys, Sweeney, and you've known them for years and years and years, Uh, what's the sense that you get as they approach their biggest weekends ever, uh, just in terms of where their minds are?
4: You know, with, with Mariano, uh, it's really just a feeling of this was inevitable, you know? And I think we knew from, you know, the first question I asked him really was about, you know, for years we used to refer to you as future Hall of Famer, Mariano Rivera. Now he's an actual Hall of Famer. And uh, I asked him to describe what the feeling was like. So um, he is, certainly well aware that this this was coming and um, and he's taking it all in. I, I think it's hard to find somebody who appreciates his place in the game more than Mariano Rivera because he came from humble beginnings and the humble part really never left him as he is now one of the most recognizable and you know really one of the great ambassadors for the game uh, because of what he did on the field and how he achieved it. Um, Mike Messina is, is in a different place because i don't know that he ever expected to be here although if you talk to him late in his career like i did covering all eight seasons of as a yankee he knew what he had accomplished it was just a matter of whether or not that historically enough people 75 percent of the voters thought that stacked up and there was great debate about it for a long time i think the new age voter who takes some analytics into account and you look at his place with categories like ERA plus, and you look at him, uh, you know, in a historical context. I think you recognized that the age in which he pitched, the highly offensive era, the ballparks in which he pitched, and you, you know, even out factors like that, and you you recognize that he belongs in the room.
1: That is Sweeney Murdy, and that is good info. Always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, are you going to Cooperstown, by the way? I didn't even ask you that.
4: Yes, I am going to Cooperstown and hopefully providing uh, some good content for WFAN, WFAN.com, and uh, maybe uh, maybe we'll throw together another podcast worth of uh, material for next week. But uh, I am going um, to see uh, Mariano and Mike Lucina, and uh, it's a big day for the Yankees, and we'll have one more next year when Derek Jeter goes in. Uh, and after that, who knows, you know, it, it might be a long time before you see uh, – you see uh, Yankee-related uh, induction days in Cooperstown. So the next two years are pretty special, and I think they expect big crowds there.
1: I'm still holding out hope for Wayne Tollison. I don't care what you say. Thanks, Sweeney. <laughs> Not happening. Uh, I know, I know. Take care, buddy. Thanks. And we've got, right, thanks, we've got more still. We've got John's insider information. That'll close things out in just a moment. We have our insider segment now. It's probably a, a great time to ask our weekly Mickey Calloway question of John <laughs> Heyman. Uh, Are we going to see you tomorrow, Mickey, or or are we never going to see Mickey again?
2: (laughs) I like the way you worded that. Very good. Very good. We're going to see Mickey tomorrow and several tomorrows, but not next year. My understanding is uh, they're going to, the intention is to keep him for the year as we've suggested for the past few weeks and uh, uh, probably, very likely, in fact, move on next year. And uh, Brody Van Wagenen, the GM, will have a chance to hire his own manager. I do think he likes Mickey very much, which is why he's continues to get this full chance to manage for the rest of this year, and you never know I guess what could happen. We don't think the Mets are going to move their way into contention. I certainly do not believe that's going to happen and uh, they will move on and Find a new manager. I know that the fans are out there clamoring, particularly for Girardi and or potentially a Showalter or a Dusty Baker. Uh, You know, I think that's probably a long shot in in terms of the control. I don't know they want to give that much control uh, to either guy. And Girardi certainly was making $4 million a year. As a Yankee manager, the Yankees have a, obviously a lot of revenue and they're one of the few teams willing to pay a manager $4 million if it comes to that. But uh, I don't believe that the Mets would... The way I think they're going to look at it is they're going to conduct a, a full search and I think that the guy they'd want is a guy they're not going to be able to get. Brody Van Wagen, very close to A.J. Hinch who's done a terrific job in Houston. He was his agent, uh, representing him for his last contract and as he got for a lot of players, he got a terrific contract for A.J. Hinch, a four-year deal, which is actually standing in the Mets' way now, because Houston's not going to let A.J. Hinch go, obviously, and what will happen is he's going to be a sounding board instead, and I, my understanding is that he likes a few of the guys who've coached for him in Houston, and uh, those are potential guys. I think that uh, if we look at uh, Joe Espada, who was a Yankee coach for a while, a Marlin coach for a while, uh, I think that A.J. Hinch would speak highly of him. Tim Bogar, who was briefly the interim manager in Texas, uh, has been a coach in several places, including uh, Boston and several places, other places. That's a possibility. And, you know, I think Eduardo Perez would be somebody interesting to look at. He was uh, a coach in Houston and obviously we know he's a terrific, terrific announcer for ESPN. So I'm going to throw those three names out speculatively as potential next managers uh, Bogar, Espada, and uh, Perez. All right, let me keep it on the Mets only
1: to ask you about Wheeler and Cinder Where are they both going to go? Is Syndergaard going to go at all?
2: Yeah, you know, I I hear out there they people expect that Wheeler definitely will be traded. I don't think it'll come this soon. I think the Mets are waiting a little while, and he will go somewhere. We know obviously Boston has now gotten Kashner. They're probably more focused on the bullpen at this moment, but there'll be many teams interested in Wheeler, including the Yankees. If they could get Syndergaard, the Yankees, that would be their number one guy. I don't think there's any question about that, but the Mets will not trade Syndergaard to the Yankees. I can go on record as saying that right now. You can come back and tell me I was wrong if it happens. I don't think there's any chance of that. As far as Wheeler to the Yankees, I think it's very limited chance. I do think he will be traded, whether it's Milwaukee, Minnesota, Houston, Atlanta. I do think the, the Mets are very willing to trade in the division. They would trade to Atlanta. They've traded Philly. They traded as Drubal Cabrera last year to Philly, so I don't think we can rule that out. But a trade to the Yankees, uh, I'm not sure that's happening. Uh, in terms of the Yankees, what they might do in terms of pitchers, I uh, I think that uh, Davy Garcia, who started the Futures game, just promoted the AAA, they consider him untouchable. At least that's what they're saying. And I think Frazier is untouchable to a degree. He's untouchable for a rental uh, like a Wheeler, but the Yankees would be willing to trade uh, Clint Frazier if they could get their hands on a Syndergaard. I, there's no question about that.
1: Stroman is kind of already talking like he is a Yankee, which is weird. <laughs> He'd like uh, to right? be. <laughs> what about him? What about Mad Bum? Those are the, the two big ones on my mind.
2: Yeah, and I think... They're going to be traded. I don't think there's any question about that at this point. Uh, Strowman has a year to go, so he should be able to get a decent return. Uh, probably not as much as some people are saying. Uh, the Yankees, I think, are, are a little bit lukewarm on Strowman. They appreciate the kind words, the fact they'd like to play in the bright lights in the big city, uh, the fact that he's from Long Island. I understand he uh, took the all, uh, was at the All-Star break. After the All-Star game, because he was an All-Star, he went to Mont- Montauk out on the island. So uh, he is a New York okay but uh, I, I don't think he is at the top of their list. I think they'll consider him, uh, depending on what else is out there. But I, I do think, uh, despite the uh, emphasis on analytics, they will look more seriously at Mad Bum. I think they would like to get uh, their hands on him. Um, they are on his no trade list. Uh, however, uh, you know, at this day and age, that no trade list, you know, this is something that hasn't talked about that much. But as the GM pointed out to me, it's not necessarily that valuable in certain circumstances, and this is one of them where he wants to be traded because uh, the acquiring team cannot give him a qualifying offer. If he sticks with the Giants, if he rejects trades and is a Giant, they will give him that qualifying offer, and that has saddled very good players. Uh, as we saw, Kimbrel signed midseason, Keichel signed midseason, and we've seen it every year where a very good player. Maybe it doesn't affect a Bryce Harper, a superstar who's in, still in the middle of his 20s, but it would f- affect uh, a mad bum, and I think that uh, he— probably can't use that uh, no-trade clause, even though the Yankees are on it and the Braves are on it and some other teams that will be interested in him. Uh, I, I don't see that as a big negotiating ploy. And by the way, I, I do believe all the interest that's been written about with the Braves and Mad Bum, uh, but they are not going to look at him as a potential uh, multi-year guy right away. Uh, that's not going to be part of the issue. They look at him as a rental, although he is from he's from North Carolina, that's a team that he'd like to go for uh we believe but uh it's a rental for them and anybody else a good rental though right
1: hey john last one for
2: you i'm gonna ask you about two teams
1: that have good parts to sell off if they want to sell texas and pittsburgh texas is absolutely in a wild card race they've got lynn and they've got minor pittsburgh is right there in the nl central felipe Vasquez would bring in a haul if they want to get rid of him so where do you see those two teams going
2: cleveland with bauer where you hear the name out there and they're willing to listen and they're willing to consider anything and i think other gms feel that bauer is probably more likely than lynn or minor to be traded um the name is just being heard out there a lot ultimately i think bauer is unlikely to be traded and i think Minor and lynn are very unlikely to be traded uh, you know it's been difficult to get a great starting pitching to come to texas uh to sign them uh they they were able to sign lynn it seemed like an overpay at the time they were able to sign Minor. they paid a lot for a guy who was not a proven starter both signings have been spectacular for them they've worked out uh, marvelously well miner has the best war for a pitcher and uh I think part of that comes from that ballpark, pitching in that park. And uh, he might, we don't know how the other the new park next year is going to play, but uh, I think that Texas would like to see uh, Miner and Lynn. Uh, they may do even better in that new park. So I, I think that would be a long shot to see either one of them traded. Uh, Felipe Vasquez, I'm told by people connected to Pittsburgh, he's very unlikely to be traded. They'd be more likely to trade a Melky Cabrera or somebody like that. But, uh, you know, they, they've started to lose a few games here, uh, they are in that tight end. NL Central. Uh, I, I kind of think they probably won't trade Vasquez, but they're going to be some big offers for him. The relief pitchers have gotten big stuff back. We saw Miller traded and we saw Chapman traded, and those were really the biggest hauls that we've seen in the last five years. Uh, Glaber Torres going for Chapman, two big prospects, including Clint Frazier, we had referenced earlier, uh, going for Miller. So I think Pittsburgh's going to have to consider it, although I'm being told it's not going to happen. Boy,
1: that is a, a dizzying segment, and I think next week is only going to be- be more dizzying because we'll have more moves to discuss <laughs> yes, absolutely we'll will. be closer to the deadline john as always thanks my friend a pleasure and uh to everybody out there thanks so much for listening go and, and stir some stuff up and we'll, we'll talk again in a week
2: sounds great josh good talk all right you. man
1: and uh, for everybody seriously we really appreciate you finding the podcast telling people about it to pollinate the universe with the fact that it exists and uh, give it a nice rating if you would we always enjoy that If you don't like the podcast, well, just keep your mouth shut is pretty much where we are with that one. It's called Big Time Baseball, and it's a product of Radio.com Sports. That is John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. We'll be back again in
0: a week. Take care. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports.
5: Okay, picture this.